This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to be joined by J. Christian Adams, who serves as President and General Counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He served from 2005 to 2010 in the voting section of the United States Department of Justice. President Donald J. Trump appointed Adams to the United States Commission on Civil Rights in 2020. J. Christian Adams, his extraordinary leadership group, including Cleta Mitchell, Chairman of Public Public Interest Legal Foundation, who we also hosted on America's Roundtable and their colleagues are working tirelessly to address the attacks on election integrity and certain states' vulnerabilities in their respective election systems. And on this note, we welcome Jay Christian Adams. Welcome to America's Roundtable, Christian. Welcome, Christian. Thank you for having me. Uh, Christian, the audit of the 2020 presidential elections in Maricopa County in Arizona started in April and is expected to be completed by the end of June. The Arizona Senate announced this past week that 50% of the Maricopa ballots were counted. The audit is performed on the ballots and the voting machines used in the election. Uh, Christian, in your op-ed piece published in Washington Examiner entitled Abuse of Power by Biden's Justice Department, Let Arizona Conduct Its Own Election Audit, you brought up a partisan, politically motivated abuse of power. Could you kindly share the details with us? The Justice Department sent a nasty letter to Arizona Senate about this audit. And what I wrote about in the piece, everyone needs to remember, these are bureaucrats who send these letters. It's not a department. It's not a building. It's not a institution. It's actually a person who decides to do it. And this particular person is named Pam Carlin. Pam Carlin was the person who threatened Arizona with a federal investigation if they continue the audit. And the reason this is important is because Pam Carlin has a long history. Uh, she's one of the architects for dismantling traditional marriage. She was a intellectual leader in destroying marriage at the Supreme Court. She was one of the witnesses against President Trump in the impeachment. Remember, she made fun of his son's name. Uh, she has a long history of dishonest scholarship. And so we need to keep in mind that the individuals who do these things are real people with histories that we can examine because it informs us about their biases. When they finally get a hold of government power, like Pam Carlin does, she abuses it. She sends letters to states threatening them for conducting an election audit. And actually, that came after Arizona Democratic Party filed a lawsuit to immediately hold Arizona 2020 election audit just before the audit started, which Maricopa County Superior Court judge rejected, stating that they did not provide substantive evidence of any breaches or threatened breaches of voter privacy. Right. The most amazing thing about that lawsuit is the fact that it even occurred. I mean, why can't a Senate 
why can't a legislative body engage in an examination of their own election system? I mean, it shows you just how radicalized these people who oppose election integrity are, that they think it's just hunky-dory to bring a lawsuit to stop a legislature from examining facts. I mean, that's one of the oldest roles of a parliament, is to investigate uh, what's going on in you know the Shire, in the countryside, to to get better about what they do as a government, is is a legislature has the power to ask questions. And the fact that somebody actually brought a lawsuit to stop it just shows how nuts they are. Right. And Christian, as you mentioned, I mean, audits are regularly performed in business and the government arena in well-functioning free enterprise democracies. Audit is a legitimate tool to verify the financial results, detect financial abuse, conflicts of interest, and in this case, verify that every legitimately cast vote was counted by a properly functioning machine. And if we look at U.S. Election Assistance Commission, it states that since the enactment of the Help America Vote Act of 2002, post-election audits have become a focus for the election community to enhance public confidence in the outcome of elections. So, Christian, why do we have to tolerate this tremendous pushback against post-election audit perpetrated by the establishment of just one party, which is disconnected from their base? Well, we don't have to tolerate it, and that's exactly what Arizona's attitude is and should be. But you really hit the nail on the head when you talk about the value of doing self-examination as to how your elections went. I mean, aren't these people the ones who say they're big fans of science, right? They always preach to us about science governing their decisions. Well, this is science. When you sit down in a systematic way to check out to make sure the machines work, to make sure the ballots are filled out correctly, make sure everything is counted. That's science. You're investigating just like a scientist would. And so it's very strange that they have such aversion to science after they've been preaching to us for how many years that they're big fans of science. Question on the state of Texas and legislators' efforts to address election integrity in that very large state. This past week, the Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote, and I quote, Mail ballots and applications would ask for a state ID number or the last four digits of a social security number. Georgia and Florida have passed similar measures, and the goal is to verify identity without having to do subjective signature analysis, unquote. Christian, by using the presidential platform, Joe Biden has now made a number of public statements and has condemned as wrong and un-American the Texas bill set to pass into law. Texas-based American Airlines and Dell have also weighed into this and have warned that the measures could harm democracy and the economic climate. And Texas actually has given voters two weeks to cast a vote, which from our point of view appears to be a very generous time frame. And we also note that Democrats want to jam through HR1 and S1 on a partisan vote, which appears to be unconstitutional. And this past week, the New York Post stated, I quote, President Biden has tapped Vice President Kamala Harris to run point on the administration's efforts to protect voting rights after more than a dozen Republican-led states have passed sweeping election reform measures, unquote. Christian, what do you make of this political posturing by the White House and the tactics employed that can be perceived to hamper the arduous and principal work being undertaken to shore up election integrity in America? Well, first of all, it's dishonest because they want to say that simply administering an election 
somehow impairs voting rights. Remember, this is how extreme they are. They don't want voter registration. One of the important uh, developments of the last century to protect voting rights, they don't want it. They don't want you to have a polling place. They want you to be at home to vote where third parties can come in and do come in to intimidate and coerce people. One of the benefits of actually having an election in a polling place is voters are protected. Voters are protected not only by police officers in some occasions, but because there's election officials to make sure the vote isn't interfered with. So a lot of the rhetoric that you're talking about that you catalog is part of a dishonest campaign to lump these issues into an umbrella of voting rights when they're not. They're the opposite. What's bad is good. What's good is bad these days. And it's not a function of voting rights to get rid of the system that has protected voters for so long. Things like registration, things like polling places. They're living in an upside-down world where they'll say anything because it energizes their base. That's what it's mostly about is energizing their base as opposed to actually protecting voters. And Christian, we talked to you on America's Roundtable Radio about the Pennsylvania case in April, where you reached a settlement with the Pennsylvania Secretary of State to remove over 20,000 dead registrants from the voter rolls. These 20,000 dead registrants were on the rolls in the 2020 general election. At this stage, Christian, are there other states which are pending with post-election audits and lawsuits regarding voter irregularities? Right. The Public Interest Legal Foundation has built a database, uh, and we've had it for years, by the way. This isn't some Johnny-come-lately effort. And we are able to tell you the exact names of dead people who are on the voter rolls in, in many, many states. We published a report, which you can get online, called Critical Condition. If you Google Public Interest Legal Foundation Critical Condition, we can tell you exactly what's happening in the past with dead voters, people voting twice, duplicate voters. And Pennsylvania, the lawsuit there is just one example, but it's not the only one. We're looking at other states to bring more lawsuits. Uh, we're looking at the data. Uh, most of all, I mean, I was just in western Pennsylvania, and if, if you look at my Twitter feed, there's actually some gravestones on it. Uh, that you can see of people who actually voted in the last presidential election. These are dead people that voted in the election. What's stranger still is that many of the people registered to vote after they were dead. Now, that's new to me. I had always just assumed the dead voters had already been on the rolls and they died. What we're finding is an interesting phenomena where people are getting registered to vote after they died. Hmm. And that's something we really need to start looking at closer. And Christian, what would happen in a hypothetical case in which the post-election audits would reveal a different winner of any election? What would happen then? Well, first of all, I think everybody needs to temper their expectations about the post-election audits revealing a different winner. Um, I will tell you on a statewide basis, that almost never happens. Really, really, truly, do, do not expect that to happen. Uh, but it could, but I don't think it will. If it did, if it did, remember, you'd have to, you'd have, to have the same thing happen in multiple states uh, to actually be able to say, oh, well, the post-election audit said that Biden really didn't win. So there's a lot of hurdles for people who think the post-election audit is going to change anything. 
Christian, we truly thank you and your organization, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, for spearheading efforts in these key states across America, ensuring up election integrity in America. J. Christian Adams serves as president and general counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, and we encourage our listeners to visit their website. They've got a number of great articles, op-ed pieces, uh, just to inform our fellow Americans about what is being done on a day-to-day basis in affirming the importance of the sanctity of the ballot in America. Christian, we thank you so much for your leadership and thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Christian. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.